0: The following podcast is brought to you by Do PDF, an all-in-one free PDF software. Click the link in the description to help Moore's Law Zed and try this piece of software out. And we're also supported by CDKOffer.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and shrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Okay, welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and uh, I know I have limited time because he is a man where his time is very valuable. So I'll, I won't de- uh, tarry any further. I will let my guest introduce himself. Oh well, thank you. Yes, uh, my name is Richard Hogue.
1: I am the managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm here in Northville, Michigan. But I suspect most people know me from my YouTube channel and more specifically the series Virtual Legality, where we talk about the business and law of technology and video games and pop culture, hopefully in a way that can help people understand those things when I know they can be a little bit tricky.
0: Yeah, I remember I I'd seen you before and, you know, I'm always trying to line up like various guests several weeks ahead of time and i think it was like a week or so ago i went oh wait why the heck haven't i messaged that guy yet i mean i talk about this nvidia arm thing all the time you know he's anytime i've heard him on another podcast or something he's you're very 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 well spoken and and the funniest thing is i reached out to you and you know it's like you have some time free in the next week and you're like well this activision thing just blew up and you're actually the one who alerted him to me that happened like halfway through <laughs> the day because i was just I wake up sometimes, and I'm just busy in my own world sure, before I course. even check the news. And then I just like look and I'm like, <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that was exactly how my Tuesday morning started. I, uh, you know, I just done a video that could have been potentially controversial. You never know how these things go. And I woke up to, you know, the 20 plus indicator on my Twitter and 570 mm-hmm. emails in my not work clients uh, box. And I said, what in the world is happening? Uh, and so ever since then, ever since Tuesday morning, it has been uh, a whirlwind of stuff. And yeah, you had contacted me to talk specifically about NVIDIA and ARM. And I said, well, we might have to push this because all hell has broken loose in the world of video games. Uh, but we found a time. So I'm, I'm glad to be here.
0: Right. And, and that's what was funny is when I, once I read that, I was like, well, I know you're busier, but now I definitely want you on this week to talk about both NVIDIA buying ARM and uh, Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard, which I actually think I'm actually surprised how often people aren't making the connection here, that there are similar themes between these two acquisitions. Okay. Um, but let us not get ahead of ourselves. I actually want to start with a little bit of who you are, like tell people as little as you or as much <laughs> as you want about like where you're from and who you are. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, I grew
1: up in the law doing mergers and acquisitions Uh, And venture capital. I went to the University of Michigan Law School. Go blue. I'm a Wolverine through and through. Uh, Great law school. I graduated in 05. And from there, I started doing that kind of primarily technology-related business Mm -hmm. law. I never wanted to be a litigator. I'm not the guy on law and order. I'm the guy that's working on contracts, helping companies get formed and funded, And one of my favorite things to do is to help uh, small businesses, entrepreneurs with dreams and and, uh, work on those technology contracts. And so I did that in 2005 through 2008, specifically when there was a minor economic problem. Mm -hmm. Venture capital dried up a little bit and I started looking to enhance my own book of business by focusing on, at that point in time, what is a pretty nascent contractual universe of software as a service. Uh, And working through those questions that even the big law firms were still working through. And quite frankly, even here in 2022, software contracts, novel ones, are some of the stuff that requires the most legal drafting because everybody's doing something different. If you've got a value proposition, it's going to look different from somebody else's. That combines with data protection and privacy, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, But I did that as my primary book of business for a period of time. I was made partner at the law firm that I worked at, decided I didn't want to be in big law uh, forever. Mm. And so in 2016, I opened my own shop with a partner who wound up going back and that became the solo legal firm of Hoag law. And in 2016, I was looking at things and saying, well, okay, here's what I've got. I've got a good book of business. I've got clients that like me. I, I know what I'm doing. I don't want to market this thing as just smaller, cheaper than this white shoe, big law firm mm. that I had previously worked at. What can I do differently? And a couple of things opened up. One, I started sponsoring MGo Blog, which is essentially the Wolverine sports uh, internet website. And the Mm -hmm. second one was that I started discovering Patreon and that one of my favorite podcasts, which was the Easy Allies, who do video gaming stuff out of California, Mm -hmm. had opened up a sponsorship for a relatively low amount. And I said, well, all right, that'll be weird. We'll have a law firm sponsor this video game podcast to Californians. And that kind of started off a series of events that wound up with me contributing question answers to them on things Mm -hmm. like Microsoft buying companies, even back then. Uh, And that became a segment called Help Us Out Hogue." That had a lot of traction. I said, I I wonder if I can do my own kind of videos, my own kind of content. I had clients that were going and pursuing that space. And then in late 2018, I had a couple of deals fall through over the holiday season. So I had some time and virtual legality was born. Our very first video Mm -hmm. was talking about whether or not you could get a refund for Fallout 76, under the terms of service. Uh, and now, as of this morning, we're doing videos on Activision times Microsoft, and it's video, I think, 610 uh, in just a little over three years. So it's been very successful. I've gotten both marketing for the firm and clientele out of it, as well as content. I was for gonna the ask that.
0: I imagine so. Yeah,
1: right? it's been very interesting, right? And a lot of what I do, uh, lawyers are not necessarily somebody that everyone has a lot of experience uh, hiring. So a lot of what I do is actually sending people to other lawyers that are better positioned to what it is that whoever contacts me wants to do uh, because I am a business practitioner. If you've got a dispute under your contract, I'm sending you to a litigator. Uh, and that's that's kind of how the practice of law has developed. But it's been very fruitful to have those contacts. I've made a lot of journalist contacts who now know that they can ask me a question and I can if I can answer it, I will. Uh, and, and that's proven very fruitful because even outside of money and marketing and everything else, I feel like if I can make things a little bit clearer as to all this stuff happening in any given industry, then that's worthwhile in and of itself, which sounds kitschy, but that's what I truly believe. So I've been very happy to get those contacts and be able to hopefully improve Mm -hmm. some of the articles that you see about Bethesda being purchased, about Activision being purchased, what that means and what it doesn't mean. And so that's what virtual reality is about. Obviously, it's been great. Uh, YouTube has paid me more money than I ever expected that they would. We've got 50,000 plus subscribers Mm -hmm. uh, and we're growing pretty fast. Uh, But overall, it's about talking about fun stuff that you care about and how the contracts and business and law actually are impacting your favorite hobbies or pop culture.
0: Yeah. And it really is, you know, not not to make it sound charitable, but it is a service, though, to that you re- work with all of these different uh, journalists and like kind of, I don't know, podcasters and such, to just be like, hey, you know, literally this is how it works, though. Right. <laughs> you know, in your article, like here's a modicum of understanding on how this actually works. Um, because, you know, whether it's that or technical aspects, I just think there's so many little things where I just wish there was these, not everyone has to be an expert on everything, but could. Can we at least focus the online discussion to make sense? Right. And at least you seem to help a lot with a lot of channels in keeping the league, at least steering it in the right dis- direction where it is a sensical discussion legally. I
1: think steering is right. Yeah, certainly certainly the, 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 the opinions that are very passionate but slightly wrongly held, those, those are a little <laughs> bit hard to get out of the internet entirely. But if I can at least put the boat in the right direction... Uh, I think that that's that's helpful. And that's what I like to do. And and certainly um, as a lawyer who's been doing this a long time, if there's really awful headlines, you'll sometimes hear it in virtual legality where I get a little bit irritated or say, forgot. Oh, sakes, yeah, I have sure. my email. Just just ask me the question.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. Obviously, though, you play video games, right? Of course. Yeah. Big like, time I, I'm going to forever. I'm going to actually ask you about that. Like, what was your first video games? What was your first oh. game system? And like, uh, what games do you typically play? Like, I'm legitimately curious. Sure. Well, this, I, I think a lot of people have a similar story to mine, which is that my be, my dad was a big
1: technologist, right? Mm-hmm. So he always wanted to get everything. So I, I think the earliest one that I could actually remember playing extensively was an Intellivision. Uh, but we had the Intellivision, we had the Atari 2600, we had the Commodore 64, we had the Apple IIe. e uh, we had basically everything, and then uh, in the middle years of like the '90s, we had all the weird stuff. So I mm-hmm. have I have a love of games on like the CDI and the 3DO that nobody I talk to has ever heard of.
0: Um, I've heard of them, but yeah, <laughs> it's one of those ones where it's like I've heard of it. You sure. Know? If well, I saw all- it, I might even be like, "What's that?" So I have a love of cheesy full motion video games that everybody
1: hates now from that period of time because that was what people were messing with with CD media mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, overall, what I play, I. I I like narrative in video games. I, one of my favorite kind of moments when I was younger was really learning that Final Fantasy and two and three could really tell interesting stories through that mm-hmm. medium. Uh, and so I've always been kind of enamored with that and somewhat frustrated when gaming moves away from that in large degrees. Uh, but that's what I tend to play. That's what I get most excited about. Uh, you know, Final Fantasy seven remake project. I'm interested to see where that goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Those games that tell stories, but. But realistically, I'm I'm Renaissance, and I give me I play what the gaming industry gives me. Uh, so I, I'm playing virtually everything, uh, mm-hmm. despite the fact I have a fifty some odd video series on Epic versus Apple. The family here loves Fortnite, so we're regularly playing <laughs> Fortnite and, and chilling doing that. It's a, I find Fortnite to be a great game to essentially be a Skype call or something else where you're not you don't have to pay a ton of attention, but you can catch up with your brother across the country uh, and that kind of thing. So that's been that's been pretty fruitful there. Otherwise, I think right now the most recent game that I've beaten is Guardians of the Galaxy, which turned out to mm-hmm. be my, one of my favorite games last year, surprisingly. Yeah, um, I know.
0: Surprisingly, right? Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the ads for that and being like, I'll be surprised if this even gets above like a seven. <laughs> I was
1: not into it at all from like the E3 reveals and everything else. And, but it was an adventure game, single player. So that I'll give it a try. I, I can't give it a higher recommendation. I think it was my game of the year last year uh so it was that was fantastic that's the last thing i think i've beaten though otherwise we're playing Mm -hmm. adventure games with my girls so i have two younger daughters and we're always looking for things that don't involve stabbing people from the you know the rooftops uh and and whatnot (laughs) so we're playing broken age the the double fine adventure game from a few years back and and that kind of thing but it's we play everything We're we're, you know we're we're interested in the new pokemon uh we're, we're interested in uh you know whatever's coming out next i think uh i'll probably play uh Uh, whatever the zombie game is. I was Dying Light 2 when it comes Mm. out next uh, and see how that goes. I'm not as excited about Horizon Forbidden West as some other people are. I'll I'll get it. Uh, But I didn't like Horizon Zero Dawn as much as some others. So
0: we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I I liked Zero Dawn a lot. But for me, it's... And it is one of my best friends. My best friend's favorite games but i go interesting I think god of war is significantly better though <laughs> like yeah, I, and, and i guess if you care which i don't know why you would to be honest but like just to give you uh, like my favorite game of the year last year was hitman 3 as a oh, surprise to me game. and my favorite games of all time are like demon souls battlefield and metal gear solid 5 games known for not being easy actually now that i think about it but um, I actually think Demon Souls isn't hard. I keep I actually harp about that. You <laughs> you you go out with that one on the internet. <laughs> yeah, you know, at certain point, you just got to get good, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Well, like... <laughs> I think there's a lot
1: of learning that can be done in those games, and and people say get good. It's not even muscle memory as much as it's knowledge, and in, in a lot of those. exactly. Uh, so I mean, I I I tend to agree. I, I don't like the Souls likes as much as others. Uh, again, because I don't like the bifurcated narrative as much as some I, you know, you're mm. playing Bloodborne, you're playing Dark Souls. And a lot of it is, oh, you know, read these item descriptions and things like that, but otherwise hit these zombies in the face with your large sword. Uh, some
0: of it, them do a better job with the atmospheric storytelling, like Bloodborne and Demon Souls. Whereas Dark Souls, it took me a while to even care, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> like that. I don't one. know that
1: I know that, well, how Dark Souls works. Yeah. I, I, I like the big, you know, the big reveals in Bloodborne. I think that's the one that worked best for me. Um, oh yeah, but uh, yeah, crazy. you know, I, I'm getting older. Uh, uh, some of those Twitch skills are not quite too. as uh, refined.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing for me with Demon Souls when it comes to difficulty is just I never get killed because, like, you know, an assassin in Assassin's Creed didn't jump to the thing I clearly told him oh, to jump sure. to. Yeah, like if I die, no, it was my fault. And I don't think that's true in all of those games. I think that one it's it is very almost overly simple to the point of like no like you screwed up dude. Right. But, no, that's um, always
1: the best. And, and I got some twitch skill. I you know I I took down Returnal last year.
0: I really really like that. Uh and that's got oh, some well, of that Oh, well that's not Souls easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. You you proven you're a gamer and you, and you've proven you're a lawyer um before we get into actually the main subjects, sure. I figured I only got one reader mail about this one. So I figured I would just get to this one right out of the way. B Fish writes in. He says, hi, Tom and Richard. Can you explain the regulatory process for M&A in the tech space? Can you do due diligence beforehand or do they review it before the deal is struck? Is there a set formula or is it arbitrary? I could understand that AMD acquiring Xilinx had less regulatory concerns than NVIDIA acquiring ARM, especially given the relative size of these companies. But what factors do regulators look at and i kind of use this as a jumping off point before we even get into nvidia arm like and i have i've heard people like in the comments and like reader mails ask this before like oh nvidia arms in jeopardy is xilinx in jeopardy like like what makes you know you know so to directly ask this question and then is this even remotely comparable to nvidia trying to buy arm
1: well i mean i i think there's a couple of things happening here in that kind of question so one when we talk about due diligence, the, the two companies in any context, whether we're talking about chips and designs or anything else, are going to have a diligence process. The various lawyers, the auditors, the financial folks of a acquirer are going to look at the target. They're going to deep dive into that documentation. You're going to sign an NDA letter of intent early on that says, you can look at all of our stuff. You can only look at it for the purpose of evaluating whether to buy us or not, but you can look at all of our stuff. So that process is happening. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think the question is, is really about third party diligence and that becomes a little bit more difficult, right? Because when we're talking about the FTC, the DOJ, the EU, whomever, you're talking about the minds of third parties. You're talking about other people, regulators who are evaluating the applicability of very broadly defined laws, rules, and regulations that allow them to get in the way if they choose to do so in a lot of circumstances. So what you're doing behind the scenes, if you're NVIDIA or ARM or Microsoft Mm -hmm. or Activision or anyone else, is you're having your lawyers have some antitrust experience, look at it and say, what is the percentage chance that we're going to get into trouble? What is the current state of play politically at the EU or the DOJ? What are we looking at here? And and assess that. Write us up a memo. But lawyers can't make promises on that. Mm -hmm. So there's a diligence process. There's do we think this will cause trouble? Is there a way we can structure it where we think it would cause less? That kind of thing. But nobody can promise you that Joe or Bob or Mary at the FTC aren't mm-hmm. going to look at this and say, hmm, I think this substantially lessens competition. So we're going to ask for settlement or block it or ask for more information, depending on how that process works and what period in time you are within that process. So essentially, you're agreeing to the deal based on what you think is going to happen maybe with some back office communication mm-hmm. depending on how big your deal is and whether or not you can call somebody up at the DOJ and get their assessment you know there's there's things that can happen along those lines but you don't know for sure and then when your definitive document is agreed to you both parties submit information to the FTC and the DOJ under a law called Hart-Scott-Rodino and they get a chance to evaluate it and if they think there's a potential problem they get to ask for more information mm-hmm. and that more information can be a lot, and that can take up a period of time. That's why you see kind of the difference in timing for something like Nvidia and Arm, and then the FTC moving against them. Right. That that was a substantial chunk of time between that announcement and yeah. the, the blocking lawsuit. So, when we talk about this, you can be prepared. You can try to prepare yourself, uh, but nobody can know exactly what a regulator is going to do. So, when you're talking about these other deals like mm-hmm. AMD. I don't see necessarily the same kind of problem as what was identified by the FTC, which is that vertical integration and locking up designs against your competitors from the NVIDIA perspective. But we do know it's tech. We do know that the FTC and the DOJ has specifically called out tech and critical infrastructure as something that they want to highlight and potentially move against. So if I'm sitting there in the office and somebody says, hey, do you think this will be a problem on the AMD side? I say, no, I think it'll probably be okay. I don't think it has the same kind of issues as NVIDIA and ARM, but I can't make you a promise because you are within that specific category of things that the U.S. federal government has said they're specifically concerned about in terms of consolidation.
0: You know, I have an—I a- actually have a reader mail that I was going to get to far later, but I'm just going to ask it now. Okay. Uh, Alex writes in and he says, this is a non-Microsoft NVIDIA question, but I feel it's poignant. If the NVIDIA deal drops through, it seems like it'll mostly be Due to the fierce opposition, but looking to the likes of Google and Facebook, Apple, uh, do anti-monopoly courts really have that much power? And then in recent days in court, an investigation to the likes of Apple, Facebook, Google, for anti-consumer monopoly practices, the court seems reluctant to do anything about these ever-growing behemoths. And kind of what I'm taking this reader mail as a jumping off point for is, you just said, you know, they've openly said, hey, we see tech as a area that just needs a lot more regulation. Uh, Okay, but like, Does Google just get a free pass because they did all the stuff first? Like, like a lot of these companies do seem to clearly kind of have semi monopolies all over the place right now. I think there's questions about Amazon. Like, do you take this proclamation of regulating tech to be, Hey, it stops here, but I guess everyone who got in the door first gets a free pass or, or, or do you think that there is a chance they start going after other companies too, after NVIDIA or some other. We're bringing up today.
1: I think there's a chance. I mean, if if you look at news items, Facebook right now is facing FTC complaints for deals that are long Mm -hmm. done with Instagram and WhatsApp. Uh, And those were deals that went through the Hart Scott Rudino investigative process. Uh, Right. And I think one thing that people get confused about, and I don't blame them for this, Mm -hmm. is the notion that if you get through that process, the US government has approved the deal in some fashion. That's not what this does. Nobody approves a deal. There's no green light. There's no rubber stamp. There's nothing like that from the FTC or the DOJ. They effectively just allow them. Um, And that can be the end of their investigation. Uh, But they can look at it six years hence, eight years hence, as the FTC is doing with those Facebook acquisitions and say, well, we didn't know that there would be a competition fault when we were looking at it. But now that we see things, we now think that there was a significant problem there. And so we are going to try to unwind that deal. Now, that's mm-hmm. a problem for corporations operating in the United States, period. You really don't want to see regulatory bodies re-examine a deal that went through that you've already yeah. tied up all your resources with. It doesn't
0: facilitate a lot a lot of optimism in doing business. If you, like, you just go, oh, ten, 10 years right. later, we can just get screwed. I right, mean,
1: well, Facebook has, regardless of how you feel about Zuckerberg or Facebook, sure. everything else, they've invested money and resources in those two subsidiaries and have done things with them. And unwinding that, if, they, if FTC wins their argument there, unwinding that becomes really tricky, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and how you do that and make sure that Facebook doesn't get screwed in the process, regardless of how you might feel about whether or not they do. Um, and so when, when you say, hey, does this mean that it happens now and we're not going to do anything in the past? I, I wouldn't say so. Uh, the FTC and the DOJ, I saw reference in your question to the courts. There's actually a couple of things happening here. And so I think it's worthwhile to back up a step. The FTC and the DOJ are executive branch agencies. They're the ones that would bring the complaints, like you see with the NVIDIA deal, like you see with the Facebook deal. And then they bring those complaints and they have to be evaluated, for the most part, in the court system, right? So the FTC and the DOJ is empowered through things like the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act and other regulatory powers to say, okay, we can block a deal if we find that it substantially lessens competition, but they aren't the final arbiters of whether they're Mm -hmm. right or not. There's a third party. That's the court system that Mm -hmm. says, Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. The FTC hasn't won every single time they've done this. Um, So when, you know, I I know we're going to talk about it when you say, hey, is the NVIDIA deal dead? NVIDIA is fighting the good fight on on whether or not they should be allowed to do this. They're trying to convince both the FTC and ultimately what would be the court system that what they're trying to do with ARM is not anti-competitive. And somebody somewhere down the line will evaluate that. The FTC, the DOJ aren't the ones that get final say, although their say will be respected. That's that's their job, is to look at these kinds of things. So it's not like Google and Apple and Facebook and the rest of the big tech companies have gotten all their stuff done, and now the DOJ and the FTC changes their stripes and they're fine. But it is the case that the earlier they did things, the more likely they are to survive that. The FTC doesn't want to do what it's doing with Facebook, ultimately. The other thing to note there is that different administrations change tax here, right? Mm-hmm. The Trump DOJ and FTC were operated very differently than the Biden yeah. FTC and DOJ. And if there were a shift in the next election, that would be something that could potentially change the operational capacities here as well. So unfortunately, antitrust, especially at these levels, very, very political, especially mm-hmm. because the laws are, as you can probably tell, very kind of ambiguous. Uh, Do you hurt competition? Do you restrain trade? Are all things that are essentially guesswork. And you have two people yelling at each other, right? You have NVIDIA saying, no, we help competition. And you have the FTC saying, no, you hurt it. Okay. How do you decide that? And ultimately that's why antitrust law is um, very difficult to guarantee from a legal perspective.
0: But it probably makes it more fun creatively to (laughs) argue and look over, right? Because that's reminding me, I took some international law courses. And I loved it because international law is just, is there a president? You can go back 800 years and say, you know what, this ship crashed all the way back then. You honored that agreement. Why is this new agreement not being honored 800 years later? Because as far as we can tell, you've been operating. It's very much so literally arguing (laughs) that it is like following the letter. So Cam, I'm sure it can be very interesting.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, international law is one of those fun ones. That's where I tell people, well, international law doesn't technically exist. Uh, mm-hmm. and so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that, that creates all sorts of trouble.
0: I like that you brought up kind of like the inevitability and stuff, cause mate hacker writes and he goes, welcome Richard. Hello again, Tom, great topic companies, other buyer create innovation. It's good to understand this better. So I'm glad you're here on the point of the NVIDIA arm acquisition for the first few months. It appeared that this acquisition was just going through the paces was certainly going to go through. And I certainly felt this too. It's what this, uh, contributor said, like, I remember when this happened and nvidia has just done so many things just bulldozed through so many things recently from the perspective of a pc gamer at least my perspective that when this happened i'm like oh my god i guess they're just gonna get it and then years later then the eu well EU was stepping in but then the ftc steps in as well um and i'm glad that you brought up that yeah it was never going to be blocked immediately this always takes time for the courts to respond right
1: Right. Well, so the way this process works is, like I said, you, you turn in, hey, we're doing this deal to the, the FTC and the DOJ. And, and I keep using both agencies because it's really both agencies that do this. They assign it to one. Uh, and then what they do is they look at it. They have a short period of time, a relatively short period of time to say, hmm, we think there's a problem here, or we think there might be. And then they can essentially ask for more information. And that more information can be a ton. And mm-hmm. they can ask for it. And until they've feel like you've responded adequately to their informational request the next timer doesn't start running so once they feel like they've got enough information the timer runs for another 30 days but that period of time where they're asking for more information and the company is delivering it is contentious probably because you've got a you've got a second view that these agencies want to take nothing good can happen in that second view if you're trying to acquire a company and so you're trying to give them information that's responsive but not everything and it's a whole thing And then even then, after they get all that information, they get to decide whether they want to require a settlement. They want to try to block you. You can see in some of the NVIDIA documents that Mm -hmm. they respond to the FTC block by saying, hey, look, we offered to make sure that, hey, we're going to keep all the neutral contracts. We're going to operate in this fashion and this fashion. You don't need to worry about this. And, you know, we... We care about our GPU business, so it doesn't make any sense for us to squash the CPU market and that kind of thing, where they make all these kinds of defensive statements, but that was a process in and of itself. So when you say, hey, I felt it was running through, it's always kind of run silent at the early Mm -hmm. days. Microsoft Activision is going to run silent for a Mm -hmm. period of time. Now, I, I tend to think that that one's an easier one to get through, but- these things run silent until they don't. And as I just talked about with respect to Facebook, they ran silent. The deal was consummated five years later, the FTC decides there's a problem. So there's there's not a safe play here for these companies, especially when you're dealing in critical infrastructure, which is the magic words that the FTC used in their complaint.
0: Right. So, and, uh, and that's what I want to get into then. And actually I have a few things to bring up and mate hacker is sure. going to ask about, it, but now let me just ask that part of the question for him. Like, so what is, actually my first question is i find it interesting eu regulators paused their investigation after the ftc jumped in so my question kind of is how do you see the eu in these types of uh you know obviously you're not a lawyer in europe but right. you know still though I, i'm curious how you see them like how you see nvidia perceive the eu you know investigating this compared to when the us does what your opinion maybe even is on when the EU just backs off when the FTC does? Is it, are we real? Is it, is the FTC the one that actually matters here or, you know, no, or matters no, no. more? I, I wouldn't and, say
1: that. I wouldn't say that the U.S. regulatory agencies are the only ones that matter. I, I, stepping I, back. I didn't again, say
0: only, but I, I mean the bigger one that matters, it seems, or, or not.
1: Well, I mean, there, there's a lot of wealth in the United States, but the EU matters and can block these things just as well. Um, yeah, stepping back, just to give the right disclaimer, right, not a European attorney. Uh, so everything that I say here is my interactions with the European union and other jurisdictions from afar. Uh, but in my experience, the European union has generally been more willing to be aggressive Mm -hmm. with its enforcement of antitrust regulation. The reason I think you see a pause is because it doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, for the various agencies in different jurisdictions to hammer on a point at the same time. Uh, so
0: the, Oh yeah, they're all busy. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: the pause isn't we're stopping. It's okay. Somebody has taken the ball with the expensive thing, which is litigation and blocking. So we'll let them run with that. And then if it doesn't come out the way we think it should, Mm -hmm. then we'll resume at that point in time. So essentially, FTC was first to say we think there's a real problem here. And the EU says, well, maybe maybe the FTC, you know, hammers this, gets rid of it. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We don't even have to think about it anymore. So we won't spend the money, resources, time. Right this second, we'll let that run its course. And then if we have to reevaluate after it's done, that's what we'll do. Uh, But certainly, even if the FTC, the DOJ, Mm -hmm. the US side of things were to just go away, I still think you have potential issues, Great Britain and the EU that Mm -hmm. have expressed concerns about this deal that would be resurrected uh, if the United States decided not to do something.
0: Yeah, that makes it sound so much worse for NVIDIA, actually. And that makes sense. I mean, these are both places where taxes pay for them and you're always busy you always have other things to watch over and so if the FTC is going into it really aggressively it's like oh well let's go work on this other thing and then in fact we can just if we really think this is that bad and we don't like what the FTC says we can just jump in and waste more of NVIDIA's time on this thing trying to yeah. get through. well
1: I mean the, the use of the word pause is very real there we're, we're, we're not ending it it's not going into the trash it's just being stopped and if it needs to be revived that's what we'll do.
0: Today's video is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. Whether you're looking to get good deals on PlayStation, Microsoft Office Professional, or both Windows 10 and Windows 11 operating systems, CDKeyOffer.com has you covered. CDKey is a long term sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead, and that's because they have been consistently providing me and Moore's Laws Dead's fans with a service that I think PC gaming just needs reasonable operating system and microsoft word prices we all have to use these products and we don't need to overpay for them if you use cdkeyoffer.com and you know what i know i will be using these products later this year for a new raptor lake or zen 4 system most likely and i will do so knowing that well they're all legitimate keys and they are going to be delivered to me quickly and promptly when i buy them Don't waste any more money than you need to this year. Use the link in the description or on screen to go to cdkeyoffer.com. And when you're there, whatever you decide to buy, make sure you use one of these offer codes. Broken Silicon gets you 25% off all Windows products and Dysharing gets you 3% off everything else. And this really does help the channel. It helps you save money. Use these offer codes. Use the link. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. So... All right, then let's just make sure we're, we kind of cover this. What is, you know, I guess let me just say this for people listening too, you know, so just so everyone knows who's listening, maybe we should have said this sooner, like <laughs> NVIDIA makes graphics cards and for a long time, they've been trying to diversify into frankly everything, but they typically talk about AI, especially when it comes to like self-driving and now these kind of omniverse simulation sort of stuff and training networks. Uh, was training networks is, of course, training a network to kind of like algorithms and do things for you, uh, I suppose. It's a very butchered explanation, but they're now trying to buy ARM, and ARM makes <laughs> everything you own, Uh, or or they they license IP to companies that build CPUs and half of the stuff you own. They and design it, right? I mean, like, that's the best way to frame it. Yeah, can... I mean, design is, I guess that, yeah, it, they, they, <laughs> they don't really, like, because... Apple took Arm IP and designed their own stuff, but kind of, yeah. And, uh, you know, NVIDIA has been using them for a very long time. I think a thing to bring up to people listening is they've been chirping along just fine using Arm for all types of different server and AI products um, that can then control their GPUs from the Arm CPU, just like Apple's been doing. Apple didn't need to buy Arm to use, you know, their IP. Most people would argue NVIDIA doesn't as well. And so the reason a lot of gamers, including me, PC gamers who are interested in the space, were like worried when they saw this is the only reason I can come up with for NVIDIA to do this is to do monopolistic practices. But this is where, you know, I kind of summarized kind of like, at least my concern, what NVIDIA does, what ARM does, what is in, what is the FTC's argument for why this shouldn't happen and what is NVIDIA's counter arguments?
1: Yeah, I I mean, the FTC looks at this as effectively one party that uses design elements from another and that that second party arm gives those design elements to, to every competitor to that party that's trying to buy them. And at its fundamental level, the FTC looks at that and says, well, you're going to use ownership of this critical part of that process to cut the legs off from your competitors. Uh, And and the nature of reviewing mergers is always predictive, right? And and the guidelines say that throughout the DOJ and the FTC that says, well, all we're really doing is analyzing what we think could happen. And so we look at the situation and say, well, if you own the ability to control the designs and those designs are Mm -hmm. used by the people that otherwise fight you at the GPU level or whatever other level you're operating on, then that's going to cause a critical framework problem with how this market operates entirely. Um, NVIDIA primarily responds to that by saying, one, we've, we're pledging to not do that. We're pledging to keep our neutral open licensing structure, as, as the SoftBank and ARM was doing throughout its history or at least recent history. So we're pledging not to do that Two, We don't have an incentive to do that because GPUs are what we care about. And so having other people design CPUs and having a broader environment for CPUs is good for us. And, and then I think the last thing that they basically argue is, and this is important in mm-hmm. these kind of analyses, is that ARM had reached an impasse with what it could do in terms of revenue and market growth and the way that it had saturated. I think they say the mobile market had already been saturated uh, with their designs. And so what the FTC didn't take into account, says NVIDIA, is that ARM needed an escape hatch anyway. And if it wasn't us, it was going to be someone else. And this made sense for us. And we're not trying to monopolize industries, but ARM is important. We see value there. We see that there's synergies between how we could use it and where they weren't going to go without our resources. And so this was a deal that made sense and that would enhance competition because otherwise ARM was going to have trouble. Regardless of who you believe on Mm. that, those are basically the premises that... Nvidia has used and the FTC has used against them. Um, and the FTC, I think is a little bit more intuitively how, how we might see it from the third party perspective. You say, yeah, you know, you could easily knock the legs. I I was going to say
0: the last argument you said there from Nvidia's point of view, I think is an interesting one and maybe the best one so far, but the one of, oh, we have no reason to use CPUs and I'm like, yeah, that, That is the worst argument. That doesn't make any, you have a lot of incentive actually to control a market, I think. Well,
1: I mean, they try to establish, I'm just looking at their answer document right now. They try to establish that there are other architectures that are competitive. So they don't, they're not going to just control and be able to cut a swath through the market. Mm. They refer to things like x86 and risk V uh, as, as creating issues for them to do what the FTC claims they will do. So that's kind of a market concentration argument. Um, But these are all NVIDIA's answers. This is after the FTC has already kind of said that this is a problem. So whether or not those have merit, that's where you get that third-party evaluation, right? The FTC doesn't just get to decide it's done. Uh, They have to go through this process. And so that's NVIDIA's argument. I got to tell you, I'm not expert enough in those markets or in the way these operate Mm -hmm. to tell you who's stronger. I can tell you intuitively, I think the FTC has an easier understood case for the layman that maybe isn't in these markets every day.
0: Oh yeah. I I think so as well. Um, You know, it, it's funny when this deal started, I was like, this feels like a monopolistic practice. I guess let's see what happens. And then the EU got involved and I was like, well, okay. It it sounds like this might not go through. I, I wasn't quite to 50, 50 though, until I talked to Daniel Nenny. He's the, Founder of semiwiki.com. He's literally written one of the best books on like the history of fabbing Silicon. He's a really interesting guy to talk to. He comes on the show from time to time. And I asked him about like why this deal wouldn't go through. And he's like, I think they can maybe get through the EU. But honestly, the biggest factor is that they pissed off everyone else. Like Apple (laughs) does Apple doesn't want this to happen. You know, um, Qualcomm, I mean, Samsung, uh, all of these companies do not want this to happen. It's one thing if NVIDIA, a much higher, you know, market cap company than ARM and than a lot of its competitors tries to bulldoze something. They usually can bulldoze through some things, with their finances and just, you know, with what they can get done. But the second you have NVIDIA fighting Apple and Samsung on the same side, that is a <laughs> that is a recipe for disaster because They have the resources to try to make this never go through. And, and you brought up back office communications. I, after that, and, you know, I talked to Daniel and, and, and you, I don't know if you've seen my channel at all. I do deal in some leaks. I try to predict things. I try to analyze the latest products, but if I can get, and I do a few sources at AMD Intel, I think my opinions are going to be much more informed. If I can actually ask someone who worked on the product, you know, behind behind the scenes and that was one thing Daniel brought up is he, he kind of does similar stuff too. And it's, he's like, you know, I'm telling you, these, these, these companies like Apple have a lot of money. They do not want this to go through. And <laughs> I started thinking about like the show billions and stuff, uh, which whatever you think about how the system works, it's like, you know, there is a certain honesty or a certain balance to the fact that if a company really doesn't want this to happen, they can call them up and be like, Hey, you know, NVIDIA is going to block this, right? Like we need to have dinner to discuss why i really think this shouldn't happen you know tim cook telling that to someone do you think that type of stuff happened and that was a major force in making this a serious priority for the ftc i i'm not i'm not actually trying to allege anything or make sure. it sound nefarious i'm saying though do you think the fact that like all these major companies which apple alone is bigger than Nvidia, But then you combine all these other companies against NVIDIA at the same time that them calling up anyone they know in the government trying to get this blocked. I mean, if they that is a major reason, it, it might become a priority, though, right?
1: Well, I mean, so remember what the FTC and the DOJ operate on is this thing lowers competition. Like that's what they're looking for. That's where they get their power from, is there's a law that says, if it does, then we can do things about it. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that they can take into account is information from people operating in the market. It's important to understand, and this is a tricky thing, and certainly this came up with Epic versus Apple and and Mm -hmm. a lot of other things that I've talked about in the recent past, that the laws are not designed to protect competitors. They aren't designed to protect every actual participant in a market. Mm -hmm. They're designed to protect the concept of competition. And so, one of the things that the guidelines really struggle with is okay, spending a lot of money to annihilate your competitor (laughs) is high level competition, right? Like at at a fundamental kind of philosophical level, that's competing hard. But we don't want your competition and your elimination of rivals to be in a fashion that is unfair or causes trouble for the underlying end user. Um, And so, when you asked me, did they talk about backroom deals? Did they have phone calls? Uh, Undoubtedly, communications were had across. The spectrum here, if it was that important to their marketplace, that would happen with any given big giant business transaction. Um, The fact that you get a lot of participants in a marketplace talking at once is probably useful to that from the FTC's perspective or the DOJ's because you're not as worried about if just Apple calls up and you say, Mm -hmm. All right, it's understandable why one of you might be upset because this could potentially cause trouble for you. That doesn't mean that the government should step in. If the entire market says, This is a potential problem. Chances are you're going to get a better ear uh, at at those regulatory bodies. And again, in an environment in the last 24 months where they have said they're particularly concerned about critical infrastructure, they're particularly concerned about big technology. And we see that at both the congressional and the executive levels. So I don't have any doubt that Mm -hmm. phone calls are had and those kinds of things. It's probably not as quite as nefarious as succession or billions would have. Yeah, And, and, you know, uh, I don't
0: try to make it sound like that, you know, or, or yeah, without dwelling on that subject, it's like nor even create create a value judgment of the fact that is it really a surprise someone who's in charge of Apple may be able to get the phone number of someone and ask them about it. That's uh, frankly, I would almost make the argument to assume they are, they wouldn't be able to do that is absurd. Of course they can. You know, they're the most powerful people, <laughs> and one of the most powerful companies. It doesn't mean they can tell him what to do though. Right, right. No, they can't. You can't tell the government what to do in any respect.
1: Um, you know, you can imply things, you could do various things. If you get into certain bits of the weeds, you have to make sure you're going through proper lobbying channels and that kind of thing, but you can't force a regulator to do what you want them to do. Um, you can just make it clear that you'd prefer they do something.
0: Mm -hmm. And if you do do that, it's worth pointing out that I think a lot of the people that do work at these regulatory bodies actually do believe in their mission. And if you try to force them or lean on them too hard, it's like, well, this could just backfire on your company. (laughs) Like now they know that they don't like you. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about antitrust
1: law or the FTC or the DOJ or one administration or another, uh, you certainly should give the benefit of the doubt. There's well-meaning actors in all sorts of offices and there's... (laughs) Like any office, they're human beings. There's bad actors in all those offices too. Uh, But yes, you should assume that if you're going to have a communication with somebody that has that kind of level of control, that
0: they are true believers and act accordingly. So Alex writes in again and he goes, it seems like we've been hearing about this NVIDIA arm thing for ages now. And I know these things take time, but the opposition really does seem fierce. When will we officially hear The deal is dead or ended. And so, yeah, this is where I go. All right. So, what are the chances it's probably dead? Because, you know, you like getting to like the EU pausing and then maybe just piggybacking right back on top of it sounds daunting. If I was NVIDIA, like it, what percentage chance is this dead? And, you know, I'm not going to like put a gun up to your head in the future and say, oh, you (laughs) were were wrong. No, I'm Uh, not going to hold you. But, like, you know, gut check, what's the chance this is dead? And then, Depending on if that's like seventy five percent what's the, when does it become ninety nine percent and when do we literally know it's dead
1: Well, I mean, I' will say up front uh, it's obviously never a good thing when a third party regulator decides to uh, actually go through the formal step of of trying to block the transaction right so that that's bad that's a bad day uh, at, at Nvidia headquarters um, so at that point in time i'd say you're you're, you're looking at fifty um, fifty maybe uh, the, the issue is that It's not quite living or dead, right? Mm -hmm. you've heard me reference it a couple of times, but there are very often deals that can get through that are done differently than they were originally announced, that have Mm. divestiture of certain assets, that have certain recorded contractual agreements that you make with the regulatory bodies. And so if you're willing to spend billions and billions of dollars on the acquisition, you're willing to try to figure out a way that you can get it through somehow with the various regulatory bodies until it looks so little like what you wanted in the first place mm-hmm. that it doesn't make sense so right now the process is and that's the main part of nvidia's answer is look we're willing to promise you all these various things what else do you need let's not block it let's figure out a way that you can be happy and the ftc's basically said no so far uh, hmm. is the percentage chance of, of of it going through is still how, how much does nvidia want to push it how much does the ftc want to push it Uh, Are they going to go through a full litigation? That's the most expensive Mm. avenue. Uh, And so right now we're in, it's not great. It is significantly less of a chance than it was when it was announced. Um, But we're, I say 50-50, we're in that middle area where it could go any direction. It's definitely not 99%. Uh, NVIDIA could come up with a solution. The FTC could decide that a given solution is okay, that the EU is also okay with, that works on all levels. But maybe doesn't look quite the same. Maybe Nvidia doesn't take on asset X, or has mm-hmm. to commit in some specific way to not doing something for a period of time. And we saw that, ironically, with the other stuff that we're talking about in this video, with Microsoft. Right, the entire 90s was Microsoft dealing with government regulators and agreeing to consent resolutions and things to not do with Windows and to not do mm-hmm. uh, with their Internet Explorer and things like that. So you can have that kind of situation. Ultimately. It depends on the people in the room. It depends on the value that Nvidia was ascribing to this, what it intended to do with it, what it thought its ROI was, how far it's willing to move from those points uh, in terms of trying to assuage the fears of government regulators, and then when it doesn't make sense anymore. So we're in that less we're, we're less likely than not of going through, but there's still a, a number of universes in which this could happen. The FTC has only recently moved in mm-hmm. a formal fashion, so we don't know. I, I don't really mean to uh, imply anything with how serious they are. They're clearly serious, mm-hmm. but exactly how flexible they are in terms of allowing the deal or, or whether this is a non-starter in those offices. We don't really have a good feel for that right now.
0: Right. And I think what might make all of this, this stuff NVIDIA is having to go through now with the FTC and, and presumably the EU again, if the FTC doesn't do what the EU was hoping they would do, uh, I think the fact that this is like a technology company deal is actually an important point too. like, yes. if, if I'm an old timey steel Baron, you know, I'll, I'll wait two decades to get the raw materials that kill all of my competition if I can get it done. And it might even be worth being watered down. Cause I'll still have a massive advantage, but with technology companies, uh, time matters. Like they have roadmaps. They clearly have plans to use arm for specific things. Um, a lot of it, you could argue they don't need ARM, but it's like, well, okay, then they don't need to buy ARM. So I feel like whatever they thought they could get out of ARM, if this takes years to go through. And again, I, I feel like the point of like Samsung teaming up with Apple and Qualcomm and all of these others is a big deal because yeah, if the FTC doesn't go through, oh, they're like, all right, let's get, let's start calling people at the UK, the EU, let's make sure this keeps going. I, I do wonder if this just, if they can't do a quick, even if it's watered down, like negotiation with the FTC it's might not even be worth NVIDIA's time at all because it it is a technology company waiting to use it makes this so much less worthwhile to them
1: right well this was announced in what late 2020 so Mm -hmm. I mean you're already you're already a few years in the future from when it was announced it was always going to take a little bit of time from that announcement uh but Yeah, I think you're right. Technology moves faster. You certainly are not signing up to a $40 billion deal without knowing exactly what you intend for your Mm -hmm. ROI and how you're going to use it. That's been stymied a little bit. And of course, in between, we've had a pandemic and all sorts of things, which on the one hand, potentially makes the thing more valuable uh, based on the use cases of everybody uh, working from home and what we're seeing with chipsets and everything else, but also makes the world different than the one that you were looking at when you entered into the deal in the first place. So there's a whole lot of variables here. I think the point that I would tell your listeners to mm. go away with is that we don't know what we don't know in terms of how that office feels, how NVIDIA feels. And so could be done, could be dead in the water right this second because the FTC's never letting it through. Or it could be a kind of thing where they say, oh, we're unhappy, we're we're really unhappy with X, Y, or Z, particularly some of the things that they articulated in their complaint document, and there might be a way to solve that situation for NVIDIA. I would imagine it would happen in this year if it mm-hmm. were to happen at all, but it's hard to say with all of these kinds of things because the regulators move at whatever speed they like uh, when you're talking about these situations.
0: So before I move forward, though, I guess the question I do kind of want to get a dot on is, well, when, when, when do we, when does, uh, and I think when you say 50 50, correct me if I'm wrong for interpreting it this way. You're not literally saying it's a 50% chance in either direction. It's just like that's the idea of it could go either way. It's that's what you're saying. It's the middle section of that sure. percentage tree, is 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 really what I mean. Of course. And so when does it get into the upper one, though? Like, is there something time. you're expecting? Time. So, yeah, when, so if time if the passes, the more time passes, that, that
1: percentage drops in terms of chance of happening.
0: So if the FTC, it, do, it doesn't seem like they're clearly working with them in earnest on a watered down deal by the end of this year, you're like, it's taken too long. They're not going to let it through.
1: I wouldn't say it's that hard and fast. But again, you're talking to a lawyer, right? I don't I don't make guarantees on this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, that that's going down. Okay. That That's going down. And, and you can have other documents. You can have other filings. You can have saber rattling that'll let you know things as well. Right. We right. have the FTC in a press conference two days ago talking about the fact that the merger guidelines right now aren't strong enough and they need to be stronger, especially on tech and critical infrastructure. That's what this deal is. Mm. So they're signaling that they are very serious about this. Is that political posturing? Is that real? We're still only a year into the current administration. Mm. It's very difficult to say, but we certainly know that they're rattling that saber good. Uh, And that's something NVIDIA has to keep in mind as well.
0: Yeah. It's funny as someone who covers news in this space, like I was listening to my morning news podcast and they were just like, it's been like one year of Biden being president. I'm like, oh yeah, it's only been one year. Pandemic <laughs> <laughs> years are longer, aren't they? <laughs> you know, they? They feel like less time, but if you remove it from the abstraction of a year, it feels like there's so much more going on because you're covering so much more. But yeah, sure. I mean, um, for me at least. So Tick Dickler writes in and he says, Rick, thanks for coming on. I love your stuff. What would you say is the main thing distinguishing the NVIDIA ARM deal with the Microsoft Activision deal, and why oh, the arm. FTC is blocking one, but presumably not the other? Just is a presumption, especially given the will they, won't they romantic tension between Microsoft and the Sherman Antitrust Act.
1: I like that description. Microsoft has certainly had a number of run ins with Sherman and antitrust law. So I think that's worthwhile to note when we talk about Microsoft and Activision. Uh, I think. I wouldn't necessarily assume that there will be no movement from the regulators on Microsoft and Activision. I think it's more likely than not that it'll go through, but there is a chance, based on everything that we just talked Mm -hmm. about, realistically, that Microsoft's a giant tech company, right? They want to frame it as gaming. That's accurate. They want to say, hey, we're only going to be the third highest revenue in terms of gaming, so don't worry about us regulators, all these kinds of things. But they're still Microsoft. They're still the two-point-whatever-trillion-dollar gorilla Mm -hmm. in the room that does All this other stuff that the FTC and the DOJ is most certainly concerned with. So one of the things that could happen in that transaction is that instead of just looking at gaming, where I agree with everybody that said it's not a monopoly, it's not really even close. If you just take gaming on the whole, right, where you've got mobile gaming, you've got Tencent, you got EA, you got UB, you got Nintendo, you got Sony, you got everybody else. They don't have that much control over gaming. What they do have control over is certain aspects of cloud services, software as a service, Game Pass, a brand new market for recurring revenue streams in content delivery in the video game industry. That if the FTC or the DOJ wanted to rattle that saber more, Mm -hmm. could give them enough ground to say, "Okay, we're going to take a we're going to take a closer look. They're going to ask for that second investigatory review, which I think they will regardless because it's 70 billion dollars. Uh, And we're going to say, okay, you're impacting the cloud market, you're impacting the server market, you're impacting these critical infrastructure markets by this acquisition because you're locking out other potential competitors in this particular space, and we're going to cause you trouble. Do I think that that is more likely than not to happen? I don't, but I do see a universe in which the FTC or the DOJ could decide to move against it. Now, the reason I don't think it's as uh, obvious as something like Nvidia Arm is that Mm. we aren't actually talking about generalized infrastructure at the Activision purchase level, right? Activision isn't that kind of tech company, even if it's enormous. And so what we talk about, hey, Call of Duty is going to get locked up on one console. As I tell people in virtual legality, yes, you can complain about things like, let's say false advertising to the FTC when somebody says this product in this video game will do this thing and it doesn't. That is legitimate. It can be a violation of the law. The FTC does not care about that as much as it cares about that pill that accidentally kills you or that refrigerator that spoils your food, Mm -hmm. there's different levels of things that these regulators care about. And video gaming, just as it is, Mm. is low on that list. It's a luxury good. It's in its legacy media. They let Fox Disney go right through. There's a lot of analogs that you can make that say, eh, they're probably not going to care that much about Activision. But if you can bring in it's Microsoft, if you can bring in game pass software as a service, Azure, that kind of argument, FTC and the DOJ can slice the market any way they want. They are not limited to just saying all gaming, not a monopoly. They can say, let's look at this market and how it impacts that. And so you could get into that particular issue. If you do, you wind up in a similar kind of circumstance to NVIDIA Arm, right? Where you say, okay, they're grabbing this content in order to kill cloud mm. services. They're, they're, they're grabbing this in order to make Azure more attractive, in a fashion that could potentially kill other competitors. Now, I think that's an even more difficult argument because you got Amazon and everybody else running their own stuff. But you can imagine a circumstance in which an eager, politically motivated agency at the U.S. federal government level says, hey, if we can get Microsoft on the top line of a complaint or blocking Mm. document, that's a pretty damn good thing. And so I wouldn't be one of these journalists that's going out there on social media and saying there's a 0% chance. I think in a... In the usual course of business, there would be a low chance of that happening. But this isn't the usual course of business. And we do have agencies that are said, hey, we're interested in talking about tech. And this is, even though it's gaming, tech.
0: Right. Right. Swiggles writes in and he says, other than the very obvious monopolistic look at the situation, on what basis do you determine if something is legal or not? to do something, is it intuition or what are some things (laughs) that you can put in objective terms to basically say this is why they can't do it just because it doesn't look good. And and I've had some other people write in and basically ask the same thing. And I think it's, uh, I think it is a good question to ask. I mean, absolutely. I mean, come on, if I'm trying to think of another company, you know, maybe not Amazon. I don't know, you know, but like if I, I think if Nintendo was buying Activision, it would look bad to some people because of how big they already are. But the fact that it is Microsoft is a reason the FTC sure. may get involved, right? Compared to other companies.
1: Well, Microsoft's pa- ba- paying for it in all cash. They they, they can find $70 billion in yeah, cash. Insane. That's the size. No, that I'm sorry. Are.
0: I think, I think it's 68 or 69. You're rounding up the entire worth of companies <laughs> to 70 <laughs> billion. That is something we're well, so pointing it's cash out. Cash
1: inclusive. This is so, We'll take one minor technical step back here. So you might see in the Wall Street Journal, it's reported as $75 billion. Okay. And Microsoft reported it as 68.7, I want to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I use 70 or around 70 oh, because okay. it's cash inclusive. So it's it's $95 a share. And whatever that winds up meaning with the overall diluted level of the shares is, is fine. It's around 70 and you'll get a bunch of different numbers depending on which headlines you wind up looking at. So fair enough. I'll stand down. You're not rounding. Okay. (laughs) No, no, it's totally fine. Because, yeah, I I generally, I think I've always described it as slightly under 70 is usually how I I, I use it. Uh, Obviously, $2 billion is not slight for most companies operating anywhere in the world. Uh, But when we talk about these kinds of deals, I I would love to tell you that there's hard and fast rules as to how to evaluate antitrust. But we're talking about laws that were passed in general in 1890, 1903. And they're very broadly written to give authority to the executive bodies. They say, if you restrain trade, it's a problem. And that's, that sentence is so ridiculous that the Supreme Court actually had to come in and say, well, you don't mean any restraint of trade because an employment agreement is a restraint of trade. Any document yeah. that you ever enter into is restraining trade in some fashion. That's why you do it. Um, so they don't mean that. They mean unreasonable restraint of trade. Whenever you see the word reasonable mm. or unreasonable <laughs> in the law, you now know that you're operating in judgment land. Yeah. You're not operating on anything hard and fast, no bright line rules, no black and white. You're operating in somebody's mind and judging them. So, you know, Epic versus Apple happens for instance. And I put out a series of videos and say, well, this isn't the normal way antitrust goes in in, in the normal course based on precedent, Epic's going to lose and lose hard. And I get a lot of flack from people that are talking about that. And I said, I'm just telling you what I've seen historically about how these things are judged. And People ask me how does that arrive? And the answer is, okay, in that particular instance, Apple has built a marketplace. And in general, the law doesn't say you can't be a monopolist of the one product that you built. Mm-hmm. We we don't want that. <laughs> so Epic always had a tough hill to climb, and they've decided to go a different direction with regulatory bodies and things, and they might find success there. Uh, but in terms of whether or not something's a monopoly, whether it restrains trade, whether it lessens competition. I can point you to the guideline documents. They're hundreds of pages long, but the opening paragraph for both sets, vertical or horizontal merger guidelines, says the same thing. It's inherently predictive. There's no one size fits all model. We're guessing, (laughs) you know, it's analytics based. We're going to try to put data on this. We're going to use economists and things like that to try to tell you where we think there could be a problem in terms of pricing and market concentration and that kind of thing. But ultimately, end of the day, It's where one of these agencies thinks that in the future, this particular structure could cause a problem for competition. And yes, unfortunately, at a certain fundamental level, that lives in somebody's mind. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and you're already getting to it. Johnny Tightlips writes in, and he goes, hello, Tom and Richard. The past few days, I've heard the word monopoly to describe Microsoft's intent to purchase Activision Blizzard. In my opinion, the use of this term seems inaccurate as I see this as a big company being purchased by just another bigger company. However, in the big picture of the landscape that both companies operate in, the combined market share is nowhere near enough to warrant calls of a monopoly, in my opinion. Legally speaking, drawing off of historical instances, at what criteria do regulators look at to decline merger acquisitions for monopolistic reasons, which you brought up vertical versus horizontal. Right. And yeah, there's very and, you've been fighting about this. Yes. I, I did see one of my fellow legal experts talking about it as a
1: vertical uh, integration. And I was like, eh. I, I, I did my analysis in virtual legality as a horizontal merger because uh, Activision provides video game content the same as Microsoft does it. The truth is it's both. And, I, and if you don't know okay. those terminologies, vertical basically means that you're in one market and you're buying a different part of the supply chain. So you can call this a vertical merger because Microsoft is a a big tech company. They make consoles, they make other platforms for content to go on. And so they're buying a content provider that looks like verticality.
0: Right. And this is like, if I may jump in for those listening, right. Isn't it the problem with that, that it's not that you own the entire market. It's just that you own a significant part of one market and the entire vertical integration. And so you have it's not that you own everything from all of them; you just own enough of each of them that it's such an advantage to control that. Re, you know, kind of that it is unfair, right? As opposed to controlling everything,
1: it's possible, right? And the circumstances uh, for a vertical merger being a problem are a little bit less likely than a horizontal, right? Horizontal is what we usually think of as monopolization. Horizontal is buying a competitor mm-hmm. and taking it out and reducing the overall market of competition. So when you look at Microsoft buying Activision. I look at it and I analyze it as a horizontal merger because they're both content creators in a video game space. Activision is publishing on both of the platforms that we usually think of, Microsoft and Sony, and Microsoft wiped them out and presumably is going to make them exclusive to their console. That's what they're spending the money for. And so it has aspects of both a vertical and a horizontal merger, which means you analyze it both ways. One of the things that you might know from the press conference a couple of days ago is that the FTC has said horizontal and merger doesn't make sense in the digital economy, that when we're talking about these companies and what they do, they are essentially mm-hmm. giant monsters. It's, it's not a vertical, it's not a horizontal concept, it's an everything concept, and we need to re-examine our guidelines, whether or not you agree with that or not from a political perspective. Mm-hmm. That's what the FTC is sending out into the world. So Microsoft, being a monopoly or not, with Activision, assumes a premise in your listener's question that I think is pretty easy to skip, and that is, what is the market? Right. Mm. Defining the market is always going to tell you whether someone's a monopolist in virtual legality. What I tell people is if you define a market narrow enough, everything's a monopoly. Right. Who's a monopoly provider of virtual legality episodes? That Mm. would be me. I'm the only one that does it. If you define the market as virtual legality episodes, then bam, let's talk about monopolistic behavior on my part. But we all know that that's ridiculous because I'm competing with every other video and every other whatever. That is happening out there in the world. And that's what Epic was fighting with Apple about was Apple saying, look, we made a phone and we get to control the phone we made. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's that's how that decision ultimately came down. We'll see how the appeals goes in the Ninth Circuit in the next couple of years. Uh, But market definition is where monopoly lives. So does Microsoft have a monopoly in gaming? I would argue no. Mm-hmm. They asked whether regulators would jump in. Generally speaking, it's market concentrations north of 30%. You start to get worried, uh, that kind of thing. That can be different depending on the court. Again, it all lives in somebody's mind. Um, but when you start talking about high levels of kind of plurality, that's when you start to get into issues uh, with the, the regulatory bodies. But if instead you say, what is Microsoft's percentage especially with Activision, of content deliveries through gaming subscription services. Mm. And it's, it's enormous, right? And they're trying to yeah. wipe out what would be a nascent competitor in Sony, I think, which is currently leaked as Spartacus, whatever their game pass is going to be. And you can look at it instead and say, well, in that marketplace, this is a major concentration question. And if the FTC wanted to cause trouble, they could. But that marketplace basically doesn't exist right now. So it's an open question, but Monopoly always, always, always Depends on how you define that market. That's the first question in antitrust law.
0: Right. It's like, yeah, you don't control all of online gaming, but you do seem to control a lot of this type of online gaming, though. And that's an issue.
1: Right. If we can cut out, if we cut out mobile gaming from the denominator, what is your market concentration look like? right? If we cut out this aspect of it, what does your market concentration look like? That's why when you get into antitrust fights at a high level, you have both sides yelling about what the market should be, Mm -hmm. right? Again, I go back to Epic versus Apple just because that was the biggest one most recently that I covered. And you had Apple saying, you know, it's all gaming everywhere. It's everything that you could possibly ever play. And Epic saying it's iOS access. Okay, well, those are different markets. And the court ultimately coming down with its mobile gaming in a specific fashion and not every piece of gaming. You don't have to compare it to the Switch. You don't have to compare it to the Xbox. You do have to compare it to phones and that kind of thing. So where you wind up on that question determines what that market concentration is. In Epic's world, Apple has 100%. In Apple's world, they have, you know, whatever, 20% because mm-hmm. Android is out there and doing that kind of thing and Xbox exists. And in the Court's world, they have just under what they were worried about from a monopoly percentage, which I can't remember where it wound up, but it was 27 or something like that. Um, and so that is ultimately where you're going to have that fight is you want to talk about monopoly what's the market we're talking about
0: right and when i saw the news for microsoft buying activision it was so sudden that and so such so many big numbers that i just didn't even have a take it's like i don't know i guess it's like if i woke up and it's like the u.s government bought ontario I'm like, right. okay, I didn't know that was a thing that was going to happen. <laughs> you know. Well,
1: that's how I felt. I mean, the other part of this story, right, is that Activision Blizzard was a rel- was a relatively frequent guest in virtual legality because of all the troubles they had gone through from the summer of 2021 on. Uh so, you know, I did 30 some odd episodes between California and the EEOC and all of the complaints about Activision Blizzard. So this comes out of nowhere. Uh, but is a part of that story, right? Microsoft probably isn't buying them if their stock price doesn't take a 35% dive in a month.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And like MCH writes in and basically asks that do you think Microsoft bought Activision because its value went so much lower from recent scandals? I mean, yes. it's still a huge number, though. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's what well, I.
1: They, so, so if you look at the stock price for Activision mm-hmm. and you go and you look at early 2021, even mid 2021, before the state of California sues them, you see that the stock price of Activision is between $90 and $105 or so. And the Microsoft price right now is going to be $95 per share. So effectively, what they did was they bought into the dip of the Activision Mm -hmm. stock price and are paying for what the market thought the assets were worth without a premium before the cultural issues stepped Mm. in. Microsoft feels they can cleanse those cultural issues simply by moving ownership. And I don't necessarily disagree with them, but they are effectively buying what would have been a hundred billion dollar company at the same market premium for 70 billion, 70 cents on the dollar. If you're Microsoft and with cash that they weren't doing anything with, mm-hmm. I mean, it's freaking Microsoft. So they have cash to do whatever they want. And so they took advantage of a significant cultural issue and a price dip for Activision. And i uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there is no question in my mind that this happens because of the last four or five months at Activision and, and their PR and everything that was happening. over there.
0: Which I, I guess it is worth pointing out though. Yeah, you change leadership, then that changes probably how they operate their culture, but uh, the old leadership just got huge diamond parachutes, right? <laughs> I mean, so it's not well, like they got punished.
1: Uh, old leadership's going to have some shares, right? And if you were going to wipe them out, you were always going to buy their shares. So mm-hmm. the answer is yes, but there was no getting around that. There, there's oh, there's sure. no I'm not, I'm not, yeah, of, of the equity. So I, that's one of those where I think people are perhaps a little bit too mean to Microsoft, saying, oh, they gave you know Bobby Kotick a parachute. And it's like, uh, yeah, they did. There, there, There's no world in which you're getting out of that relationship without buying him out. Oh, yeah. So I, this is how it always had to look, whether it was Microsoft or somebody you favored more if you don't like them. Uh, So I don't really blame them for that.
0: This piece of content is brought to you by SwiftDo PDF, an all-in-one free PDF software that enables you to create, convert, merge, and compress and sign PDF documents in the blink of an eye. You can use the basic version for free, or you can pay a one-time fee for an upgraded version that gives you a lifetime license. And they're running a special deal right now for the holiday season and New Years. Don't miss out, click the link in the description to support Moore's Law is Dead, it really does help the channel, and also to try out do today. So I guess a, a question I would also bring up now, though, is, all right, it's probably going to go through, though. I th- I mean, yes. more you know, likely than not. Right. So it goes through when and then Microsoft buys EA. Does the FTC get involved now? Because <laughs> I feel like they probably would. Then they go, OK, this is just flagrant. They're clearly on some warpath. Or do you not think so? Do you think that EA deal be as likely to go through if it came after this one. I know these are Gaming your lawyer, is huge. you know. Mm-hmm. Gaming is huge, right? So
1: even purchasing electronic arts still has at least I don't know, 13, 14 major players still in still in the game. Uh you know, I don't I don't know what level it would take to to raise their ire. Certainly if they tried to pull another acquisition while this one was pending, <laughs> I would say that that's more likely to cause trouble. So I think Microsoft is probably going to be on the Oh yeah lay off the accelerator until this one gets through. Uh, But electronic arts isn't that big Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the grand scheme of things. Um, Now, if Microsoft goes after Nintendo or Sony, you might have a bigger conversation. Uh, But I think right now you're still at a place where gaming is very broadly held by a number of different publishers. And more importantly, just gaming itself, getting into the process of making a successful game is relatively low barriers to entry, mm-hmm. right? Making a AAA game that is, you know, Naughty Dog or whatever has is a problem, but there's still Stardew Valleys being created every yeah. day. And so unlike some of these things, where you talk about massive factories and resources needing to move mountains, you still have success cases and movement within technology that the government has to be at least a little bit reticent about sticking its nose in too much, right? When when it gets in the way of Internet Explorer and Windows, and the, at the benefit of Netscape, and Netscape doesn't exist by the time the case is done, you know, it's you got to be worried about. Okay, if you're the government, we're using antitrust laws. The the law moves very slowly. Most times, the agency is going to be reluctant, except for the most obvious of things, to get in the way because. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't want to block things. You know, if, if they block NVIDIA Arm, and NVIDIA is right, that Arm actually doesn't have an economic avenue, and it's, it's really floundering, and it's going to cause a problem, and Arm goes under, uh, then you look back on that, and you say, well, I don't think the market is better without that design firm, and should they have blocked the transaction in the first place? And You don't really want to be sitting in the government and saying, uh, that, that, that maybe wasn't the right call doesn't really matter if you're at an agency because you make the call that you can make, but those are the competing considerations you see in the guidelines that you see in the law, which is there are efficiencies to be gained. Don't assume that the company that's buying somebody, even if they're big, doesn't have some way to make it more competitive to advantage consumers Mm. and to enhance competition in that marketplace. And that's what NVIDIA is arguing. But end of the day, Nobody can tell you what they're going to do, uh, FTC or DOJ. Right. Microsoft, Activision probably doesn't rub anybody the wrong way, I don't think, but who knows. Uh, if they buy you know, three more publishers, maybe you start talking to them. But I, I think you're going to have an era of gaming consolidation, and what's going to happen is that you're going to maybe have some team-ups and some debt leveraging, and you're going to have some people try to consolidate as an answer to Microsoft.
0: Right, and and I want to start getting into, because you're a gamer, so I, I don't mind. It I doesn't, love it. It doesn't always have to be a legal answer, but <laughs> Kinahoon 25 writes in. He goes, Tom and Richard, I'm going to be honest. I have a bad feeling about Microsoft's acquisition of Activision. and I feel like this isn't good for the overall gaming industry. Something inside me has a fear that the gaming industry is going to turn into, like, well, TV, where you will have to have multiple services just so you can play the games you want. Disney recently removed ESPN from YouTube TV, making it almost impossible for YouTube TV subscribers to watch college sports. Soon, Disney Plus may be the only way for anyone to watch college sports. And I have a sinking feeling that the gaming industry is going to head down this road, which sucks, I think. What are the thoughts on this? Also, do you think Sony finally takes trying to buy a Konami konami seriously after this which by the way konami yeah konami oh, yeah i maybe. i think it's funny the the college sports thing i don't really follow sports but i swear every few years i have my friends who follow sports have a new thing they're complaining about and someone bought the <sighs> streaming service it's just such a thing an annoying aspect of watching sports isn't it compared to other pieces of content it's just always being shifted around and baywalled. um but it yeah, well, Sports is like the last bastion of like
1: live connection for for people to not live in libraries and streaming services. So it is one of those that's highly valuable. And I'm certainly, as a, as I said, Michigan Wolverine, go blue. Uh, I uh, I have my own trouble following it around and figuring out what's the most efficient way to pay for it. Uh, but yeah, you know, in terms of the deal itself, I'm a corporate lawyer, right? I do mergers and acquisitions. I I, I like to look at these things and say, hey, they could work out. Uh, obviously, a lot of deals don't work out either for the businesses that do them or for the consumers that are interested in the industry and i think people that are concerned about consolidation here where you do have two major independent publishers in Zenimax and Activision being put under one roof are legitimate in in their concerns i'm a guy that loves star wars mm-hmm. right and i love a lot of stuff that disney now is the owner of and i can tell you that i don't love that seemingly a lot of the products and franchises and, and movies and books and things that I enjoy are basically under the same decision makers. Not that the, I'm mm. not, this isn't an opining as to Disney being bad, all right? right? I've got my problems with the way they've handled Star Wars, but even if they were great, having one flavor of content, yeah. one set of board of directors, it isn't awesome for people that like different kinds of things, Right. Fox being under Disney is interesting because Fox was a very different movie studio. They were doing very different things. And and Disney has said that they want to keep that up. It's unclear whether that'll happen because the contracts are only now kind of expiring. So I look at that and say, ah, gee, I wish that there was, I wish Fox was out there doing their own thing because having more people doing their own thing winds up with the higher level of possibility of them doing something that you like. So Activision, Zenimax being under Microsoft, got no problem with Phil Spencer, got no problem with Microsoft. I look at it and say, "Well, I'm a little worried that we're going to start getting the one flavor out of out of Microsoft. Just like I'm a little
0: worried, Sony's one flavor is third person action adventures until you die." Right. Uh, and I, so I think that's such <laughs> a good point too because I have a contact who's a who's, who works at Ubisoft. And I think Ubisoft is starting to fix this issue. I've noticed it in their recent games, but, you know, yeah, I mean, like (laughs) in some people I've talked to at Ubisoft, they're like, oh, we're aware of the issue. We're aware that it's weird that in Far Cry, not anymore. They removed it in Far Cry six, but in Far Cry five through three or I don't even know did two do that, like where you had to go to the top of a tower and jump off like Assassin's Creed. And it's like, does every game need to have? this like bird and peak.
1: watchdogs I mean ub game is a real thing and I happen to like ub game yeah with whatever you know texture it has over it but it is just the one game there's the Ubisoft flavor
0: right and I think they're starting to realize oh maybe we don't make all of our games literally the same game guys it's becoming an <laughs> issue here um like what was it uh <laughs> I think there was a, a a trailer for like a new extraction zombie rainbow six game and i'm like i remember seeing that and going is this some expansion for the division (laughs) two because they all look the same from ubisoft but and it it is it's a problem at sony too that i think sony's starting to become aware oh oops we accidentally just made all third person action games i'm worried that i don't know what that would be for microsoft right but there is a worry that how if one person controls all of these different studios they are going to probably be funneled in a similar way no yeah, I mean, that would be my worry. I, I think
1: if you want to say the opposite or that you're not worried, one of the biggest success stories that I enjoyed out of Microsoft's recent acquisitions is I think Psychonauts 2 is fantastic. And I think Double Fine, which is a weird oddball studio, was able to preserve its DNA, but clearly with more mm-hmm. resources. Right? It's clearly the most expensive thing at the end of the day that they've ever made. And if Microsoft can continue down that kind of creative independence road, but just with a lot of money... I think that they could have some real success there. And that's certainly my hope out of the out of the process. Uh, but certainly with fewer people at the head, right? Phil Spencer's the head of Microsoft Gaming. He is the ostensible CEO of 32 publishers at this point in time that what Phil Spencer likes is going to have an impact on what Microsoft puts out. Uh, and I'd rather have 60 different options than the one, even though I am hopeful that Microsoft money thrown at video games is going to result in some pretty fancy stuff being thrown our way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess this is where I jump in and go, I don't really have a dog in this fight. I mostly game on PC. Whatever they make, I'm going to be able to play it. I'm pretty sure. sure. So I don't know that I even I I shouldn't say I don't care. Objectively, I kind of look and go, oh, I don't like it when these companies make it so other people can't. That's worrying, but I think um, an objective thing you can say that is concerning about this deal is just the price tag for it. Like I was, again, I was bringing this up to my brother, uh, my girlfriend yesterday. Like this is such a big point. I believe one of the most expensive games ever made is Grand Theft Auto V. And it, depending on how you, who you believe, what it really costs to make, I think, it, I think the official number was over 300 million and you include marketing. It's hundreds cover. of millions for the Rockstar Games, yeah. Yeah, and I know I'm, my understanding is that starting to not become that weird for some of these mega games like valhalla like they do cost hundreds of millions to make but my understanding is at least on record gta5 still the biggest one and if we even just call it half a billion to make that game microsoft could they not have funded a 140 grand theft autos instead of just taking games away from somebody and that's when people buy studios and it's like oh i'm mad i can't play that game on this gaming device anymore i think that's annoying but I, i i think the most flagrant thing that annoys me is that they couldn't just build 80 studios and make new games instead of taking them away from other people because my God, you could fund so many new creative projects with that money. Good Lord. Well,
1: I, I, I hear you there. I, I think one thing that you'd want to take a step back on is you can't just manifest. I agree. People of, of AAA development capability. Uh, so if you're spending that money, chances are you're moving people into your studios anyway. So if you're building the initiative or you're building the coalition Mm -hmm. or whatever, you're just snaking development talent, which is just buying studios the long way, right? So I, you know, whether or not that actually changes the equation, I'm not as positive. I would be more likely to think. But it's a hypothetical. It's
0: like, I know they can't literally just get like a hundred Ken Levines and bring him (laughs) in, you know, I understand. Just clone him. Yeah. We
1: need, we need 4 million Bioshocks. Yeah. No, I, I think more likely the more disturbing way that this money would have been spent was that Xbox would have just, uh, you know, Tomb Raidered it and spent $70 billion on the world's most extensive, exclusive campaign, uh, which doesn't help anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But bare minimum might have allowed more autonomy if those, if those studios stayed uh, what they were. Uh, you know, I, I am an optimist. I know lawyers aren't supposed to be. So I look at these deals and say, hey, okay, Game Pass is going to get a lot of value. They're still in the process of recruiting people, so that's still going to be underpriced for the most part for at least some amount of time. So that's going to be good. Uh, And there's going to be a lot of resources given to companies that maybe didn't have them before. I think the Double Fine Psychonauts 2 experiment is great. I'm looking forward to more Obsidian stuff. I think they're going to use the money pretty well uh, when they didn't get the chance to before. Did Activision need more resources? No. Uh, But what does that look like? I wasn't thrilled with the way, the direction they were going anyway. I liked their Crash Bandicoot revival. I liked the stuff that they were doing outside of Call of Duty. And then they moved all of their studios to making Call of Duty. Maybe some of that gets unwound uh, by Microsoft and Xbox. So I like to be optimistic about these things. Uh, but certainly the fact that Microsoft can wield its war chest in a fashion that none of, none of the other gaming industry participants can uh, is potentially problematic. But I don't think it's at that level just yet.
0: Right, and... I guess to go back to a couple of the reader mails, you're like, what Kenahoon25 asked. It's like, let me be very clear. Yeah, like you said too. Yeah, there's about to be an insane amount of consolidation for sure is what's about to happen. And uh, no matter how you look at this deal, it's like, because of course, you know, you see a lot of fanboys arguing on Twitter, which I find a lot of real dumb takes from both sides, to be honest, guys. Like you see the, I think the dumbest one, I, 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 the most brain, the most simplistically braindead one I've seen is the Sony fanboy going, hey, but we still got Infamous, so who cares? And it's like, no, this is a big deal, dude. But <laughs> um, but then- Yeah, you, I, that's the thing, right? It, it, pe- some
1: people are understating it. Some people are overstating right. it. Uh, but it, it is a large deal, it, especially absolutely. for Sony, who has a walled garden and is dependent on, among other things, outside of its first party studios, third party access to the biggest stuff. And essentially, you're one Ubisoft lockup away from most of the really big ticket Sony third party items no longer being available on their system. So it's an interesting time if you're running Sony operations and trying to build your wall garden.
0: Right. And, you know, and then you see, you know, like, oh, well, I can't get this game on Xbox. So ha ha ha. And it's like, yeah, but you do understand that like now Sony is going to try to buy, buy out Konami and Square Enix. I think they've there's a lot of rumors have already been in talks with Square Enix. So, guys... All those 4 and $5 billion companies are, are having
1: phone calls. I can guarantee you mm-hmm. that. Whether or not that comes to anything, all, all sure. of those ones in the less than double digits are having phone calls because that's what some of the other market participants can wield. They can't buy
0: $70 billion companies. No. They can spend five. Right, and... I hope you guys are happy because that is going to happen. There's there's no way they're not going to go buy a bunch, try to buy a bunch more people now. And all that means is there's, it, I, I'm sorry, like, yeah, the, it, the. I think this is just going to turn into a situation where we have a few platform holders pulling games off of each other's stuff. And well, here here we go. <laughs> I don't know what else to say, right? It's possible. I the other possibility, though, is that you do
1: see other developers creating companies out of thin air, right? I mean, Respawn Entertainment mm-hmm. exists because the, the minds at Infinity Ward said, screw y'all. Uh, and that can still happen. Companies can't control their people forever. So if there is a marketplace for cross-platform play, you can have the bright lights at these various companies go and say, all right, we're going to build Activision. Right? Activision was really the first third-party publisher because the folks at EA didn't want to be controlled anymore. And so they left and created a company that was going to go do their own thing. Electronic Arts did the same thing. They were independent publishers, and mm. you could see what amounts to the 1980s again. Yeah. Um, and so it's you're always which is one about of the talent. worst
0: gaming crashes in history happened in.
1: Well, but after the worst gaming crash came the Renaissance and the independent publishers and everything else. So yeah, I think if you have over consolidation and you have bad investments, you could have a crash. You could, uh, but you can have these possibilities again you're talking to an optimistic lawyer to say, hey, if there is a marketplace for cross-platform games and there are developers that are capable of making them, then that's a market opportunity, regardless of who's wielding money and throwing it around. Because, you know, developer X didn't get paid for Activision getting purchased. The investors did, Bobby Kotick did, but the geniuses over there are not the ones that made bank. And they might want to go and make their own company to make their own multi-platform to potentially get bought 10 years hence. But that that kind of churn is something that can work in a marketplace. What'll happen? I don't know. Will Square Enix get purchased? I don't know. Sony, I have said for a long time, doesn't have the war chest to actually engage in a hot acquisition war, so they got to be very careful. Not about to what the they same do. degree now. Yeah, well, not even. I mean, Microsoft's two point two trillion and Microsoft and Sony's in the hundreds of billions, I think.
0: Right, uh, but so, I, mean, it, I, I would push back on that a little bit, though, because Xbox is. Bra- barely even brought up in their earnings calls. Like, well, they've proven they will spend this much for Xbox. I guess that's interesting. Well, this is new.
1: Yeah, and Phil being Phil being reorganized into the CEO of Microsoft Gaming as a pillar. That's 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 the way they use their naming conventions for their big revenue generators. Means that they believe that this is an ROI initiative. They 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 are building up a real gaming uh, division that will be on their revenue sheets. That that's their plan.
0: Right, and, but yeah, again, all I'm saying is people like Nintendo and Sony need the gaming to work out. They can't fall sure. back on Windows, so they're, they'll are they take right. out loans and do whatever it need they need to to survive. So while they don't have the same war chest as Microsoft, don't assume they won't spend half their worth to save themselves because they have no alternative <laughs> but to do that. And the, a scary thought, actually, I'm just looking around it, and it's like these companies are worth so much money, but they're not compared to, like, Sony was over a hundred, like 110 billion or something. Microsoft's over 2 trillion. Like, I'm just looking at this stuff and it's surprising to me. uh, Ubisoft is worth less than 7 billion euro. It's not impossible. They could be bought.
1: Right. Well, and we know that Ubisoft had a hostile takeover attempt. They recently defeated. I mean, that's that, that has happened.
0: And what is it? Like Nintendo's worth 15 billion. They're not going to sell to anyone though. They like, they want to be independent, but it's like, yeah, but it's not out of the realm of possibility Sony doesn't try to buy Ubisoft is all I'm saying. It isn't. And I wish you didn't have to get Assassin's Creed on Sony and you know that on there. Not that I'm betting that it will. It's just I do think people underestimate that Sony is worth over 100 billion though. These co- their companies, they're not worth as much as you think.
1: That's right. I, I people do not have a good grasp on the various sizes, especially, you know, Microsoft multiples of everybody yeah. else. Uh, but even within the gaming industry, that, you know, Capcom is as small as it is, that Square Enix is as small as it is, small being billions of dollars, of course, but that they're purchasable by somebody that has the desire to do so.
0: Well, I, I, I don't know how much more to dwell on the kind of gamer talk regarding that, but <laughs> if you have the time and let me know, if like, do you have another five minutes? I've got about 15. You got 15 minutes. Okay. So I I thought, yeah, I have a few more off-subject questions maybe we could burn through here. You are a lawyer. I don't, first lawyer to come on Broken Silicon. uh, (laughs) So that's like, why not ask these? Yoda King writes in, he goes, there is recent news that Meta, previously Facebook, has acquired a lens company, Imagine Optics, a company that Valve has heavily invested in for their next-gen headset. How do you think Valve can deal with this? And more recently, there has been news that the federal government is investigating anti-competitive behavior of Meta. How far do you think this can go? Will anything be done to prevent the Zuck from making Sword Art Online a reality? Oh, well,
1: I mean, I I, I can't speak to the specifics there because I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what Valve's investment entailed. But certainly Facebook is one of those four or five companies that both the house judiciary committee and the FTC and DOJ has called out and said, we are specifically concerned about how this company operates um, in general, just purchasing a hardware manufacturer or developer for something that is in your wheelhouse for the business that you want to do is, is not something that ordinarily would rise to the level of concern, even if a competitor has invested in it or designed for it. But um, it really depends on things like market concentration and size and, and what that looks like. I, I, I would be lying if I could tell you exactly what the hardware Mm -hmm. uh, competition market looked like for VR and VR
0: adjacent. Yeah, VR optics. I don't know. Right.
1: So it's it's very difficult to answer. Certainly, if that was a considerable part of that market, that's when you start to see the regulators get more upset. Uh, Valve probably doesn't love it. But again, law isn't designed to protect Valve. It's designed to protect competition on the whole.
0: Right. And like if Meta just came in and just bought the next one, they started talking to instantly. Would that just immediately raise eyebrows or does it have to happen? Yes,
1: that's the kind of thing that does raise eyebrows. That's the WhatsApp acquisition. That's what they call nascent rivals or nascent competitors. That's the kind of thing that Facebook has historically Mm -hmm. done. And it's why they're getting in trouble with the FTC right now.
0: Clean sweep writes in, Hi, Tom and Richard. Since the DOJ and FTC are apparently going to go over merger rules for digital markets, what sort of changes would you like to see, both on the <laughs> legal front and in terms of how they handle IP consumer data? He did put you with asterisks around it. He really wants to know what you would like to see.
1: Well, I like certainty. So more than anything, mm. what I would like to see are rules that companies that I could advise or that are otherwise deciding how to operate in the marketplace would know whether or not something was a problem beforehand, right? You go down these rules, you go and you pay lawyers to make 100-page merger documents and do all of this stuff, and then the FTC swoops in, it doesn't feel good, and it's not great for the economy. It's not great for anybody, and it's not... The FTC knows that, Um, and so I would like to see guidelines that are more specific about what we're looking at, about what you're concerned about. Ideally, I'd like to see Congress actually make more specific antitrust lo- laws. Whether or not that's stronger or weaker, I would just like to see more specifics there. Uh, but ultimately, I certainly think the guidelines are in line for reexamination. Uh, But I do worry that those agencies in particular have become too politicized and that every administration Mm. essentially reevaluates every time and that it's always a kind of sense of panic on inauguration day as to whether or not the deal you've got in process or that you just finished is going to survive. So if we could get away from that uh, either direction, I think with more certainty, you get more efficient economics, you get better deals and you get what you want which is more competition in a stronger marketplace
0: yeah i mean the the biggest thing to kill investments in business is literally just uncertainty maybe it's a one percent chance but the fact that you don't know if you spend this money if it will be a return that is <laughs> the less that happens the more people just go out and do business i suppose uh um, that's what i would like to see tuboduck.net writes in he says hi tom and richard now we just need harry I don't get this reference. Um, Do you think we will see... I think he wanted to call me Dick. Oh, okay. It's Tom, Dick, and Harry, right? Oh, okay. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think we will see any additional attempts to allow other payment processors or sideloading of apps onto Apple devices in the future, or has that ship likely sailed now?
1: I have always thought... This is an Epic versus Apple question, Mm -hmm. really. I, I have always thought that the... Sherman Antitrust Act Avenue that Tim Sweeney and Epic took was a loser, that it was a a Hail Mary long shot designed to get PR. And maybe Mm. that worked. Yeah. Um, And designed to get them in front of uh, legislative bodies, which we have seen happen. In fact, the U.S. Congress right now is contemplating an Open Apps Act um, to actually allow those kinds of things, just like South Korea, Uh, But I think that avenue, actually getting the law changed, actually having those kinds of regulations done in various jurisdictions, even if it's not the United States, which is a tougher poll than some other places, is more likely to happen than getting a a litigatory win. I think the Ninth Circuit's going to hold for Apple um, under the Sherman Antitrust Act. So if Epic's going to win, if Epic and its consortium, the Coalition for App Fairness, are going to have those successes, it's going to be in various Congresses. Uh, uh and that can be just as important right i mean apple and android are operating on a multinational basis so if you have enough significant jurisdictions decide right. to make these right. rules you got to deal with them one way or the other uh and so i think that's what epic has basically kind of proceeded down and i think you will see potential regulatory changes now you might also see constitutional challenges and things like that depending on what jurisdiction you're you're talking about but i think the litigation avenue is probably not fruitful Uh, And Epic probably knows that, although they might also be essentially chalking it up to marketing expense, that that got them the Coalition for App Fairness, and that got them in front of Congress and that kind of thing. So I think you might see changes, but not from the legal side of things.
0: Okay. All right. QH Freddy writes in, what can you say as far as opportunities in the big tech and gaming companies for law students coming from Europe? Well, you're not from Europe, but...
1: I'm not from Europe. I, I mean, I, I can give the same advice I give to a lot of law students, uh, which is you want to stay open to possibilities. For the most part, the good employers, whether in the video game industry or elsewhere, are, are not going to be as locked into your curriculum vitae or your law school name or anything like that mm-hmm. as you might otherwise be worried about. Um, so you just want to stay open to interviews and possibilities. I can't tell you any great way to break into any given industry uh, because you know I, I've I've been in big law. Uh, I I came up through law firms, which are their own alien entity. And I worked with outside parties. I was outside counsel for other companies. And then when I went and did my own thing, I took that book of business and and worked on it. But I I was never breaking into an industry. I have video game clients because they sought me out. Uh, I have software clients because I uh, knew of technology that was Mm -hmm. happening at the nearby university. Uh, And so my avenue is maybe a little bit different than yours. Every lawyer is different. Uh, but if you want to break into any industry, video games or otherwise, that you're passionate about, what you want to do is you want to go have interviews with folks that are looking to position those particular roles and see what happens. So unfortunately, I don't have specific advice. I apologize for that. Uh, but just to stay open to the possibilities and also understand that every road is winding and probably whoever you're talking to didn't wind up going straight from X to Y in order to get there. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, God, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, my career path is... Uh... <laughs> From, from every road is winding. From, it's the truth from mechanical engineer to sales to YouTube. <laughs> like, yeah. So, uh um, well, hell yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer with a YouTube channel. So, you know, every, everything
1: is, everything is unusual.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess if there's one thing I just thought of though, that I do want to ask before we close out, sure. it's like, any of this stuff, NVIDIA buying ARM, Microsoft buying Activision, Blizzard, I- any of these, anything recently in the headlines involving tech companies and litigation, what do you think the biggest misconception is that the public has? About tech in general? I mean, And the I litigation think... of it. And like these, you know, is, is there anything that you've been dealing with a lot? This, this subject word cloud I've thrown at you where you're like, ah, <laughs> I keep seeing that misconception or ah, why do people not well, get this? Acquisitions, I think, are a problem for folks. There's
1: kind of standard stuff. And we've seen those in Microsoft land, right? With ZeniMax and now Activision, people get confused about the technical stuff, right? That Microsoft is acquiring Activision, but it's actually a merger document, which is actually a reverse triangular merger. And then you'll get a journalistic outlet that says, because the merger sub in this is going to be called Anchorage, that Microsoft intends to change the name of Activision to Anchorage. And and you get this kind of specific little stuff Uh, about transactions that I think people are often confused about. And that's not their fault. It's not even the journalist's fault. Legalese is legalese for a reason. It's doing a bunch of stuff that isn't obvious on the page, and I don't blame folks for that. That is ostensibly the reason virtual legality exists, is to hopefully try to break through some of that stuff. In terms of more broad application than just acquisitions, I think the biggest thing that people get, not confused by, but maybe don't give enough credit to, is how much contractual relations, intellectual property, ownership and licensing, and the actual legal and business nature of things behind the scenes controls the end state of the stories that you see, right? Whatever that price might be, whether Spider-Man is in Sony movies or in the MCU or not, all of this comes down to ownership and contracts and relationships in a fashion that um, I think it's easy to miss. And, And that's really what law school taught me two decades some on ago, is that the underlying rules... And whether that's regulations mm-hmm. or, or laws or contracts, are governing so much of how you see things, like almost like physics, almost like gravity or anything else in the world. And that's what people miss: is that what you're seeing might not make sense because there's something else going on behind the scenes. And if you knew that, it would make more sense. And again, I, you know, I'm not trying to plug the channel. Hopefully, that. Well, I what want you doing.
0: to, and we're near the end, so <laughs> please keep doing it.
1: Ho- hopefully, that's what virtual legality exists for: is to say, look here's why Spider-Man is definitely not going to leave the MCU and that IGN is blowing smoke at you. So don't listen to them for just a minute. And this is why these contracts work the way this is. And this is how a Mm. negotiation works. And this is how a, this is how a Twitch suspension would operate and why in an arbitration clause, everybody's going to be quiet for six months and understanding that that doesn't mean X, Y, or Z. Um, so that's, that's where I comment things from. Uh, and, and I really don't like to assess blame. I don't, I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. Uh, But the more that you can kind of understand that there are all these different aspects of laws and rules and contracts that are acting on everything that you love, whether it's video games or movies or television or books or comic books or whatever it might be, then the better you're going to be able to not just engage with the news as you see it, but kind of think about what's coming next and, and how that's going to look in the future.
0: It's so funny you say that too, because I feel like the older you get, the more you realize that the rule you just said, but with regarding law applies to everything that you realize how much you don't know. And that if something seems silly, yeah, there's a reason behind it that you don't know about that is you have no reason to know about like the, the biggest one that I've had to deal with in the past week is AMD just launched a graphics card. It, the, the lanes that connect it to a motherboard provide the bandwidth to communicate with the CPU. It only has four lanes. And people are like, that really hamstrings its performance if you have an older system with four older lanes. right? And they're like, why didn't they just give it more lanes? It would have been better. And it's like, guys, this was a laptop card that because the market's inflated in value right now, they overclocked and pushed as a desktop gaming card. It was always designed as a laptop card. And, and they'll say, well, why can't, how much does it cost to just add a few lanes? It's like what two dollars of silicon. Y- yes, if it's already designed. But if you look it up, every hard design, the validation, the the, the testing, the making sure you didn't add new bugs with the logic in the and pro- the GPU, that's like ten million dollars, and it will delay it six months. So what you just said is Andy should have spent ten million dollars and have this come out a year, like half a year later. That's not an option. That's why it has those limitations. Because they repurpose something for another use. And yep, it has quarks and it seems stupid. But there were design reasons that they just can't change. And there's so many of these things going on, right? right? Yeah, with CPUs and stuff. The reality of the situation is where the fun
1: lives and, and figuring all that stuff out. I, I love that stuff to death. I mean, I, that's just, I, I'm a nerd on rules and regulations and structure for that. Uh, you know, I'm sitting there and my wife gets annoyed and I'm sitting there at a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a cross street with a given lighting structure. And I go, well, why are the lights set this way? And thinking about exactly how that arrived and everything else. So that's what I love. That's what virtual Reality does. And I, I, you couldn't be more right in that. That governs every single thing in life is those kinds of stories
0: and how those structures happen. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, if you uh, want his business, also I'll have a link to your <laughs> law firm. Yeah, link to Hoag Law. Why not? Yeah, I I, I give consultations. We can chat about what you might need. Um, so yeah, and uh, again, you know, just thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I uh, I hope you gain a bunch more subscribers from it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moores Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans... Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on broken silicon die shrink and loose ends, and, of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover States podcasts and other projects Moore's Law is Dead has done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums, and give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Anthony Graffa, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, Lin Yi, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Fole, Phil S.D. 31337 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jess Josh Law, JBG, Travis Goodingham, Canticle Floss, the Booking Kilo, Fatboy Dees Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA 81, Nathan Mose, Coladic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landabazo, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N, Electros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Rentaro, Matt Sukata, John Jameson, Sam Bensel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jane Rounder, Chris Lakata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrants, Eric Jansen, Jonathan, Patrick Grow, 3DS Boy08, Dominique Cock. Stefan, original Ross, Sandy, Garrido, Saunderson, Joachim Hagen, Teak Autumn, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S. C. Jits, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Ackers, Endless Longens, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Elena, Dan- 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 Daniel Nishball, Franco Fredrick, Dan Galanowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Brett Summers, Blake, Denovan Russell, Noah Coela. Zlicki, Martin Porshetti, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulan, Patrick J S, Justin Staples, Freddie Cano Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Fellow, Brucha, Jeremy So, Michelle Pell, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Floria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindney, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Regelman. Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie. DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, My Sharona, Y. Trui, Rowan, William, W. Draper, Ararat, Spamptum, G. Spamptum, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amy Will Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Raken, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, RP Sharma, Mead and Pork, Jimmy Ng, Mads, Matthew Lazier, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron John Wassing, Mohammed, John DeBont, Pulse Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewar, Stephen Chang, Georgie Kosdaninov, PC Beast 22, uh, Reginald Ari, Narathiel, Ivan, Charles Russell, Hal Buma, Akash Aditha, The Grid, Andrew S. Christrich, and thank you to Sahara for the music.